what is the end goal of Bitcoiners? Separate money from state. So where do I believe this is in five years? Dude, this will become a political powerhouse. All the, 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 people don't understand this. Like the, not simply Bitcoin in particular, but the Bitcoin topic, right? It's inevitable that it gets into, it, it gets into politics. Dude, this is the most political force the world has ever seen since Marxism. Okay, the idea that you could save in a money that they can't devalue, they can't easily confiscate, but it's grassroots, meaning you have to go there, you have to go to people, and you have to say, hey, man, look at this alternative. How do you do that? How do you do that? First of all, you can't get trapped in the, the fiat model, right? Left-wing people believe this, right-wing people believe that. That's how they distract you. At the end of the day, the difference between the left and the right they both want the same thing. They just have different ways of getting there. Welcome to the Builders and Bitcoin podcast, a podcast about the people who bring Bitcoin to life. I'm your host, Rod, and I go by the handle BitKite on Twitter. My guest this week is Nico from Simply Bitcoin, someone who brings his passion for Bitcoin and life and infuses that in the business he is creating. In this episode, we discuss and dig into how Nico started Simply Bitcoin and where he sees it going, the responsibilities associated with delivering news and information to the public, channel growth and sustainability tips for content creators, and a whole lot more. I drew a lot of inspiration from this conversation, and I hope you will too. So let's just jump right in. Nico, welcome to the Builders and Bitcoin podcast. How the heck are you? I'm doing great, bro. Just spend, uh, I just spent the week in Nashville, Tennessee at the legendary Bitcoin park. Uh, very, very happy, man. Just, just another day in Bitcoin. Super privileged. I don't know what else to say. I'm doing great, bro. Dude, thank you so much for coming. This is going to be another very selfish podcast of mine. <laughs> uh, why is that? As a, uh, budding podcaster, a budding Bitcoin podcaster, I get to ask a, uh, a very well-established podcaster, all of his tips and tricks and best practices. So, um, how did you even start Simply Bitcoin? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So, kind of goes back to like I got into Bitcoin 2016, and I got into Bitcoin through mining, and I was not in a, like in a, in a good position in my life at that point. And, um, bro, I just went all in, got on a plane, went to Venezuela. My uncle taught me everything he knew. Got very lucky when they started seizing. <laughs> so, my, sorry, your your uncle was mining Bitcoin? My uncle was mining Bitcoin since 2013 in Venezuela <laughs> where the cost of electricity is like it costs something. But because there's a differential between the official exchange rate and the black market rate, which is the actual free market rate, you basically pay like pennies on the dollar for power. Um, but no one knew before 2016 – that there was these magic internet machines you would plug in and they'd make you magic internet money. The problem is 2016, 2017 with the bull run, it's not that the Venezuelan government started noticing, it's that the people that worked in the government that had the power, that had the monopoly on violence started to realize, holy crap, if I plug in one S9, it will make me more than what I make in my salary. So we started shipping machines in directly from Bitmain coming from China, <laughs> dude, and they would just take it at the border. They would steal it. And you'd tell them like, hey, like, where's, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. So we started to realize and my uncle's partners got spooked. And this is where, this is my big break. I was the only American citizen. So I was able to take them and I got very lucky. And before I got into Bitcoin, I worked in commercial real estate and they would, my clients would always just send me, you know, pictures and their properties and whatever. And I got a, I, I got a picture and it was a 500,000 square foot facility. It was, it was an old pantyhouse factory. And I saw the pictures had a bunch of transformers outside and I was like, holy crap. And his name is Lilo. I called him. I was like, Lilo, like, what are you using this for? He's like, oh dude, I'm, I'm putting it, I'm using it to put my cars in there. And I'm like, have you ever heard of Bitcoin mining? He's like, no. I'm like, what's the capacity to this place? He's like, um, right now it's 10 megawatts. We can get up to 20. Damn. I was like, what? I was yeah. like, dude. Um, so what did I do? I took all my uncle's clients. I was like, Hey, look, security in the U S not going to be as cheap, but you're going to continue to mine. And that was my big break. And I got very, very, I got extremely lucky. And that's how BitVault started. 
2018 um, was a terrible year for me. I had to go back to work um, like fiat because I got absolutely crushed. But How did you get crushed? Dude, like it's just <laughs> all my – all basically a good percentage of my clients that were mining with me and I was making money through the hosting fees and I didn't have enough capital to be a significant miner at that point uh, – just they couldn't they couldn't pay for it. They, they weren't it wasn't profitable for them anymore. Mm-hmm. So they just all turned in the keys. Um, I never forgot it though. Um, and I went back to work in real estate. I, I did little side gigs. I was just hustling. 2018, 2019, 2010. I had an obsession. Every day I would wake up and I would think, what can I do to make to put to to make money and put it into Bitcoin. And I pride myself in this. I was putting 80 to 85% of my income into Bitcoin for three or four years. It fucking worked out really, really well. Um, 2020 came around, uh, you know, the bull market started happening. BitVault started becoming extremely profitable again. Uh, It got to my head. Um, and I was like, I got so much time on my hands. Let me start a podcast. Um, and this kind of goes back to your original question. And it was like, I was looking at the podcasting field, right? You had the legends, you know, like Marty and Matt, you had, uh, you know, you had Peter McCormack, you have, uh, you know, Breed Love, which got his big break through the Sailor series. Um, it was all established. Mm -hmm. So for you to compete with any of these guys, you would need to do, double or triple the amount of work that they were doing. And on top of that, you would also have to, um, you would also have to get a tremendous amount of engagement to Mm -hmm. just break out. Right. Um, so I was like, okay, that's done and dusted, uh, heavily saturated. Let me just come up with the show. So like kind of like a TV show, uh, but for Bitcoin at that point, dude, no one was doing it. Everyone was doing podcasts. Like podcasts were the thing. Um, I was just an idea. Sometimes ideas fail. Most of the time they fail, actually. Um, this one was extremely well-received. Uh, Nick Can't Mind, shout out to him, uh, liked Simply Bitcoin enough to – he's like, dude, come speak at Bitcoin 2021. Word. Got on a panel with uh, Alex Fetsky, uh, Young Lurk, uh, Dr. Bitcoin MD, and myself, and of course Nick Can't Mind. The name of the panel was um, – you know, why toxicity is necessary. I was working on a phrase all morning. Like if you're against, if you're against, uh, if you're, if you're against Bitcoin toxicity, you're against Bitcoin. If you're against Bitcoin, you're against freedom, right? Like just like I came up with that line. I was working on it. Dude, shit went viral. <laughs> it got featured in a Financial Times article. What? Um, it popped off the show numbers for Simply Bitcoin. Um, and then after that, like five, six months later, uh, Bitcoin Magazine came out with Bitcoin Magazine Live, which very similar. It's kind of like a show. Um, and then came the big dog, Swan, <laughs> just came out swinging. They got an Emmy Award winning journalist, Natalie Burnell, and they released Hard Money and they blew both of us out of the fucking water. Uh, and they came out with the show too. So now, you know, there's the podcasters, right? You know, legends, all of them. Um, and then there are the Bitcoin shows, right? And, you know, people confuse the two all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, uh, you know, this is a, you know, the, you're you're doing a podcast. It's like, yeah. The difference is, though, is that a show is centered on you, right? So when people come and watch Simply Bitcoin, they come and watch Nico at that point, Phil, now it's Opti. They come watch Nico and Opti. Yep. They come for that. And the guest is an addition to the show, right? A podcast is people watch the podcast solely on who you're interviewing, right? And the numbers reflect that, right? Every single one of my episodes, well, I know it's going to get a certain amount of views, even if it's just, in fact, some people like it if it's just Nico and Opti. So the fact that I don't, which is what I call a guest crutch, I don't have a guest crutch mm-hmm. gives me a tremendous advantage because it tells me that I'm going to get a view no matter what, which means I can go to my ad, I can go to my sponsors and say, dude, look, it's my engagement, rain or shine. I can be hated by the entire community and no guests would want to want to come on my podcast ever again. And I'll still pull in views no matter rain or shine. Interesting. So, so just a quick recap. So your show, how it's different. So two things. One great explanation between the difference between a podcast and a show. 
So there's podcasting, which is very uh, guest-centric, which that makes a ton of sense. I think Builders in Bitcoin is probably more towards that. The, then there's the show, which is uh, about the individual or the the company. So like uh, uh, Swan's Hard Money, Bitcoin Magazine Live. Rabbit Hole Recap, also a really good one. That's true. Yep. They don't have guests. So, But that is, I mean, it's a, I show. Go, it's a show. Yeah, I go to listen to Marty and Matt for sure every week. Um, and then Simply Bitcoin. And then the frequency is just different. Uh, I don't know the frequency of live or the Swan show, but yours is six days a week? Yeah, that that was kind of, you know, we, so I, I'm a really big believer in brute force. Okay. So I Explain might not be that. the smartest. I might, might not be the most well-spoken. I might not be the most intellectual, but I will outwork you. Meaning if you come out with one episode or two episodes a week, I come out with six. And my six, my numbers and my six will out – even if your two episodes do really well in views, my six will outperform yours as a cumulative. And over time, because I'm doing it day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, dude, people want content. People suffer. People have a nine-to-five job. They don't want to be there most likely. Bitcoin for them is a hope. And if I tune into that hope every fucking day and they have to wait, oh, dude, that other show only comes out on Tuesday. Every comes on Thursday. Even if they like that other show more than mine, there's nothing else to watch, my yep. friend. So that kind of builds like a mental solidarity in their minds where they're just like, dude, like I know every every day simply Bitcoin's there. And then what you do, right, and I think this is like the the knockout punch is that you sneak and guess, but you don't put it in the title, yeah. right? So you tune in. It's like Simply Bitcoin, just another episode on Tuesday. It's like, hey, today uh, we got a special guest, Adam Back. And you're like, holy fuck, like, holy yeah. crap, this is crazy. You know, so it like kind of builds this like trust, this like um, it. you build it into people's daily routine, which is like a, a – on a psychological note, I think it's very important because at the end of the day, what are we doing as podcasters, right? What we're really doing on a basic level, basically everyone's already made up their mind. What you're doing is you're reconfirming biases. So if you tune into Tucker Carlson, you're not too tuning into Tucker Carlson because you want to be informed. You're tuning into Tucker Carlson because you feel that the other political side not doing it right. So you tune into Tucker Carlson. He's just saying, you're right. Let me tell you why you're right. Let me let me lay it out for you exactly why you are right. Right. So. People don't really understand that very much. Uh, totally get it. And I also think uh, people also want to be entertained after a hard day working, you know, whether they're traveling to and from work an hour each way. Um, do you think it degrades the quality, though, doing like six shows? I mean, you got to get – dude, I love your energy. You have the same level of energy, enthusiasm, and passion for Bitcoin uh, that I do. But like six days every single day coming in with like just quality, you know, work. Do you feel like you have off days or does it degrade the quality of the show? Yeah, that's a great question. So you kind of have to balance two things, right? You have to balance the workflow. Uh, before Simply Bitcoin was a live show, we did pre-production and we edited the show and that mm. kind of increased the production value tremendously. Um, through the experience that I picked up with that, I kind of figured out, dude, I could just do this live. Um, but we kept all the production quality ele elements. For example, the transitions, the banners, the devil's always in the details. If you pay attention to the devil's into detail, people even – they might not even pick it up on a conscious level. But on a subconscious level, they'll learn to appreciate that you're putting a lot of work into details that other people are just like, that doesn't matter. You know, it's just like, dude, they're just going to listen. Trust me, it matters. Um, but to go back to your question, does it degrade – uh, the quality of production. Dude, I mean, yes and no. Um, because I do it every day, I, I've gotten like, and I hate, you know, talking about myself in this way, but I've gotten pretty good at it because I've yeah. been doing it every day for two years straight. So I create narrative arcs where other people, they just, they won't see it. They'll just report the news. They'll say, hey, um, this Alex Mashinsky guy, you know, he was taking out $10 million before the thing. 
right? And what am I going to report today is I'm going to start connecting the dots. So it's like Corey Clipston caught this six months ago. Here's a video of Alex Mashinsky saying why you shouldn't take self-custody. And I'm going to connect it with the Financial Times article, right? So you connect all the three dots, right? Um, the work's done for you because Corey did the work. The video does the work. Financial Times is going to write it out perfectly. Your job is just to de- to deliver it in a way where it emotionally connects with people, totally. right? They're like, dude, like, holy crap. Uh, this guy is a piece of shit. Like, this is whatever. And of course, and I think this is one of the reasons that Mar- Matt says what he says, right, about stay humble, stack sats. The reality is this with media, and it's a very unspoken secret, okay? Legacy media understands this very well, okay? Dude, the position that you are, if you have influence, if you have viewers, you get to dictate what people think. Hear that? It's very, very strong what I just said, but it's the reality, right? And there's a tremendous amount of power and responsibility that comes with that because you could lead people astray and you could wreck people. You hear this with the influencers. You hear this with legacy media lying. Look at what they did with the pandemic that can't be said and spoken of on certain platforms, right? Look at how they led people, right? So you, as a content creator, you kind of have to decide, do you want to do this with integrity and principle? Or do you want to sell your soul for money? Or do you want to sell your soul for views and clicks, which is what a lot of the shit coiners do on YouTube, right? So that in itself, dude, is tremendously powerful. And it's something that I didn't learn until a year after making Simply Bitcoin, I started realizing when I was like tailoring the stories, putting stories together, forming narrative arcs for, you know, the segments, I'd be like, holy crap, like I could totally skew this in a certain direction if I wanted to. And because of the views that I'm getting, because of the listens that I'm getting, they're going to believe me, right? Like they trust me. And then I'm like, holy crap. Now I understand how legacy media works, right? And that explains why people like Joe Rogan are so popular, right? They don't have to lie like the legacy media has to lie, right? The legacy media, they're bought and paid for by special interests. They have to lie. And that's why you're seeing the rise of independent content creators. But the problem is that the, the same trappings are there. The same trappings are there. You could lead people astray if you really, really wanted to. And that's a tremendous amount of power. And that's a tremendous amount of influence. And it's really up to you as the content creator to get to decide how you're going to use that, how you're going to use that people's trust. Are you going to use it to better their lives? Are you going to use it to help them? Are you going to tell them the truth? Or are you going to cut corners, perhaps get more views, perhaps get paid more, but fucking sell your soul in the process? It is a slippery slope and it is – really about perspective, you know, from the individual, because truth is, uh, (laughs) what is truth, right? It's from the individual's perspective and their experiences and and how they create that. And I think you nailed it in terms of taking a lot of uh, responsibility in having that megaphone and then dictating what that narrative is. I got to give you a lot of credit because uh, when I was watching your shows, the amount of live production value that you do as an individual is insane. And it's like that passion around making that content come to life and telling that story. Um, in my opinion, the best podcasters and the best show men are master storytellers. And you're a budding storyteller in this uh, regard. That's a random question, but you know, you've been a guest on a lot of podcasts. And obviously, you're a host of Simply Bitcoin. Uh, which do you prefer? I mean, it's two different tastes of ice cream. Um, one is a lot like as a guest, you get to relax and just talk. Um, as a host, it's intoxicating because it's like you're in the driver's seat. But there's a tremendous amount of responsibility because it's your show, right? So, you know, there's a lot. It's, you mentioned it earlier. Um, dude, you could you could lead it like – If you're not in tune with what's going on, whether a guest is talking a little bit too much and you're going to run over the time or the segment's running a little bit too long or they're just long-winding it or it just – you could tell like the energy of the show is dying. You constantly have to be on top of that 
um, to make sure it stays to a certain quality um, and entertainment value. Because we are a daily show, we can't just be informative because it will bore the living shit out of you. It has to have some level of like uh, my girlfriend call it pizzazz or pizzazz, right? It has to have that level of like, oh, dude, this is simply Bitcoin. Like this is like, holy shit, like this is crazy. You're going to get the music. You're going to get this. You're going to get the meme review. It's an experience, right? And it's all about creating that experience for the viewer and the listener. When you're in the driver's seat, when you're the host, you have to create that experience. You don't have a choice. When you're a guest, you don't have that responsibility whatsoever. You could just sit back, relax, and talk about whatever it's on your mind. So you mentioned also, and by the way, I completely agree with that. Um, I have, I don't, yeah, I haven't been a guest on a podcast. Um, but I've invited you, but you said no. <laughs> Let's table that. Uh, what? So you mentioned incentives earlier. Um, I I couldn't agree more. That's why I actually I do love listening. This is going to sound crazy, but I actually do love listening to uh, uh, podcasters read the advertisements. Why? Twofold. One, I want to know who's driving the incentives for that podcaster to exist. Uh, you know, so I'm like, okay, X, Y, and Z companies, whether they're in Bitcoin or out of Bitcoin. Okay, got that. Um, and then also, you know, is it like truly scripted or is it like truly passionate around um, they really believe in this product. And I'm looking for, uh, do they actually use the product or service? Not just superficially like, hey, I got one miner running over at, you know, XYZ company and it's looking good. And then the company is just sending them like, you know, reports to then uh, read off, you mm -hmm. know, in their ad read. What for uh, budding podcasters, what's your take on a twofold? One, What's your take on how to go and um, get advertisers? And then, to, yeah, let's start with that. And then I got to follow up. Yeah. So I've had tremendous amount of success with them coming to me. That The, the vast majority of sponsors that we have, it's like, hey, uh, love your show. Can I sponsor you? So is it like a, just a love your show or is there like a certain number of uh, what's the metric, by the way, in podcasting? Is it listens uh, that people care about? I think it has to do with their personal connection with the show specifically. So, um, and they just reach out and they say, hey, I love your show. Um, we have a certain amount of s spaces, segment spaces. So we actually have a waiting list um, of you know people that want to sponsor the show, but we just don't have space for them. Um, and also principles are very important. So for example, if, you know, when, uh, Wasabi wallet, they came out and they said they want, they were going to start blacklisting and whitelisting certain, uh, you know, Bitcoin addresses for their coin join, dude, they were on the wait list. We had them, they were ready to go. We terminated that shit, the snap of a finger. In fact, not only did I burn the bridge, I blew up the bridge because I got very upset. I sent them a message on Wednesday. They, they, we had a whole show on them, dude, that like went through it and I went ham. I went crazy because I felt like it was against Bitcoin's principles and they came out with a response. That Friday, I got the samurai guy to come and we went through the, we went through the response with the samurai guy on thing because like I said, dude, like what is Bitcoin? Bitcoin is a revolution and it, and it falls onto us to push forward that revolution. Now, the problem is that governments, right, in their kind of bargaining phase, they're going to try to throw everything and everything at you to say, you know what, you can have the Bitcoin, but you can't have the freedom. You can have the Bitcoin, but you can't have it in a self-hosted wallet. You can have the Bitcoin, but it has to adhere with U.S. sanction policy. Like, like things like that, right, where it's like they're just placating and it really falls to us to get to say like, no. Right. So for us, it's very important. We're very, very extremely picky on who we decide to partner with, on who we decide to take money with, because not only do we see them as a sponsor, but we also see them as a partner. So we are representing that brand. Right? And vice versa, too. Right. They're Correct. a brand extension of, of simply Bitcoin. And Correct. Rico. So whatever if they're if they have a fuck up that what do you think is going to get the blame? Oh. I'm, I'm going to get a message saying like, hey, what's going on? Uh, let me give you the example with Swan, right? 
So Swan, one of my favorite partners, uh, I think Corey, what they're doing there is incredible, but you know, they had two leaks. They had one email leak and they had another email leak. We had to go and we had to report on that. We have to say it. We had to say, look, like, you know, they, they, they leaked some personal information um, and you have to own up to it. If you don't own up to it, dude, then you sold your soul and you're taking the money. You have to be honest. You have to be truthful and you have to be willing to, which is really, it's, a, it's very important. You have to be willing to walk away from a partnership, even if they pay you an ungodly amount of money, because, you, dude, like, what is the end of the day here? We want to separate money from state. And you know what they're going to do, bro? They're going to knock on Tell all me. the most influential people. They're going to knock on the door and they're going to say, hey, uh, how you doing, man? Um, that's, a, that's a good thing you got here. Uh, why don't you take this sponsor from uh, JP Morgan, man? This is 100K a month. It's like, what's it's like, oh no, but we know we could change the, we could change the, the, it won't be so obvious. Maybe it's not JP Morgan. Maybe it's, you know, some chain analysis, some, some company, exactly. Some, some company that they own, right. That helps our cause. Right. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, you're starting to skew what you're saying 20, 30 years later, you become what the legacy media is today. Walter Cronkite. And like, if you go back to the media companies like CNNBC, like all of them, you go back 20, 30, 40 years, there was integrity there, my friend. Mm -hmm. Look at their reporting, right? Their reporting was on the dot. It would tell you. It would make the government look bad. And then over – and it was – honestly, it was the Vietnam War, dude. And it was a reporting – and it, I think it was Walter Cronkite or someone that went to Vietnam and they basically went against what the White House narrative was, which is we are winning the Vietnam War. And then they went to go – he went to go visit and he said – this war is unwinnable. You can't win this. And then the public perception shifted. At that point in history was when the whole, what I call the administrative state, what some people call the deep state, they say, we can't have that anymore. We need to capture the media. Have you noticed that when they cover military operations, they show a B-roll footage of an F-16 taking off an aircraft carrier in the middle of the night, and they just rehearse that they, they replay that footage over or a tomahawk cruise missile being shot off sh shot off from a destroyer from a ship it's the same footage think about it every single time it's that same footage why vietnam they used to get footage on the ground after that the pentagon did not allow that how did they say it? they said we will give you access and we will give you news but you can only use the footage of which we approve of period the pro what they weren't expecting was what the internet did. The internet disintermediated information. So in 2003, they had a total fucking monopoly. What does that mean? That means if George Bush wanted to tell the world that Iraq had weapons of mass destruction, tap someone on the New York Times, make sure that they have a juicy, you know, payroll, they have a juicy job. New York Times reports Iraq has weapons of mass destruction, right? Everyone believes it. Do you think that the United States would have gone to war with Iraq if Twitter was around, if the internet was around? It would be very difficult for them because now there's millions upon millions of people communicating directly with each other without an intermediary. So the government's kind of freaking out right now. The Biden administration tried to release a ministry of truth. That didn't go yeah. so hot, right? So this goes all – this all goes back to now individuals – are the media. Now it's up to us. Now it belongs to us to get to decide, hey, here's what's going on with the world. This is what the White House is doing. This is their attack vectors on Bitcoin. Pay attention, right? And they're going to throw money at you and they're going to say, hey, you know, it's like this, this Nico guy, way too influential. Let's give him a hundred million dollar Spotify deal. That will shut him up. You know, so that's where it's going. But the problem is that they have a losing battle the same way that they're they're going to they're going to lose with Bitcoin is that, dude, like there's way too many leaks to just put your finger in when there is a handful of networks or there's a handful of banks. You just capture them. Yep. Right. How do you capture millions upon millions of people getting their own information the way they see fit? Same with money. How do you get how do you capture millions upon millions of people taking Bitcoin into self-custody? So the internet just threw a wrench in their whole 
mechanism and the, the way that they've been used to doing things. And they don't know. But the problem is that it all goes, it all boils down to the individual. It all boils down to does that individual have the integrity? Does that individual have the personal, personal responsibility to bring up that world that we all want to live up to? Totally. Right? You want me to tell you, um, do you know, and Tom, I don't think knows this either. Do you know how I came up with the, the handle Bitkite? No. Bitcoin plus Cronkite. No, no, no. A little mind blow, right? <laughs> so you know the story. I do. Okay. But so I do agree with the uh, individual. Um, now I'm curious. So we got the advertiser incentive, which, uh, again, I actually think the advertising or uh, company-supported model is going to be here for a long time. Don't Correct. get me wrong. And I actually think if you do it right, you've high integrity, you vet out your partners, you actually use their products, you actually, I joke, uh, Matt and I say this all the time, like, can we walk with the founder and have a beer with them or go on a, like a two mile walk and learn about like their vision for the future? And does it align with kind of what we're trying to build uh, locally here in the Nashville Bitcoin community as well as globally? But I'm really interested in the whole value for value model. Uh, what's your take on podcasting 2.0 and these apps like from Breeze and Fountain? Yeah. So on a personal level, the amount of revenue that we make from sponsors is just – it's just such it, – it's, it's significantly more than when we make from the value for value. I've also heard that from other content creators as yep. well. Um, so I don't know if it's the incentive model. Um, I don't know if it's a UI issue. I don't know if it's just like people like free crap. The problem is it's not free. They just – they perceive it as free but what they're really doing is they're paying with time. Why are they paying with time? Because they have to sit through a 15 to 30 second ad. But just the mere fact of just sitting through a 15 to 30 second ad, I think perhaps to them is less painful than chiming out some sats, giving out some sats, Right. But that's the perception that that I'm getting right now is that, yeah, Fountain's working great, ton of donations, ton of, you know, people are giving sats. It's great. You know, it's it's whatever. But compared to the amount of revenue that we make from companies that want segment space from us, sure, it's night and day. And that's what I'm hearing from a lot of other people as well. Do you feel like you're going to invest more time in the value for value uh, area or do you think you're just going to leave it? status quo for now while building out these segments, these advertiser-supported segments? Yeah, so um, that that's a really good question. So, And, and I'm going to kind of zoom out a little bit to answer it, right? And I, I think, you know, for anybody listening, like, this, this will help. You know, the way that the world worked before is if you wanted to get into media, you knocked on the door of one of the me- big media companies, they would give you a job, that job would come with a salary, and you would compete for, you know, the, the prime time. Right. And, you know, there's only so many slots on Fox News. There's only so many slots on CNN. Why am I saying all this? Now, anybody could be a broadcaster, meaning you're not just the broadcaster, man. You're the finance department. You're the marketing department. You are the business. Everything that you do is a business. So you don't have the luxury of not exploring monetization options, right? Because it's literally like com- like it'd it be committing suicide. It's like, oh, I'm just going to ignore this potential. It could work. It could not work. How do I know? I have no idea. I don't have the luxury of saying, I'm not going to explore the value for value. My goal as a business owner, because that's what this is, right, is to survive, right? I have to survive. I have people working under me. I have to pay them. They depend on me. They depend on the reputation of Simply. They depend on the survival of Simply, and they depend on the success of Simply. So I have to look at every single possible avenue of monetizing my business at the same time keeping my integrity and keeping my principles, right? I have to weigh the two. And and it's very frustrating sometimes because you see a lot of the shitcoiners, man, and the amount of views that they get is ungodly. Like, it's just like, dude, like, you're looking at this, you're like, holy crap, you know? Um, And why is that? Because they decided to sell their soul. They decided to sell their integrity for clicks, for views, right? It's up to the Bitcoiners, right? And there's very few of us. There's very few of us that decided once you get to a certain size, 
the amount of offerings that they try to throw at you to try to buy you, right, in a way is absurd. And the amount of money that they throw at you is absurd. So you have to decide, why am I doing this? You know, am I doing this? Do you you have a passion for this? Correct. But but it's also, and I've had this conversation with a couple of people, right? There is a, uh, unfortunately, from what I've noticed, um, and I guess this is a a privileged position because I I think you have to acknowledge it. If your podcast is your main source of income, right? And someone knocks on your door and they say, hey, here's 10,000 bucks. And then you're looking at that 10,000 bucks and you're like, holy crap, I could like- Pays for rent. My wife, I can get my wife's car. I could could pay, I can get my kids through school. Dude, what do you, most likely what are you going to do? Can I, can I blame that person? Right. It's, it's, it's like, it's a moral conundrum, right? I'm in this very extremely fortunate. I'm very aware of it. And if go, it's, it's happened before they knock on my door, here's $10,000. Go fuck yourself. Not only go fuck yourself. I'm going to go talk about how you try to do that. Right. But, it, I, but I acknowledge that dude, it's only because of where I am. Right. It's only because of, you know, the, the position that I find myself in. Right. Um, so it's it's a very it, dude. It's it's a it's a very very sticky subject. But do you blame someone for trying to better the life of their children? Totally. Um, no, it, totally. I do not. Um, but I totally understand their perspective. That's why when uh, young people, we have college students all around that come up and like, hey, what's one piece of advice you'd give me? Uh, it's actually not buy Bitcoin. Believe it or not, it is create multiple revenue streams. That is imperative. Uh, in my humble opinion, keep your head on a swivel and create multiple revenue streams, continue to learn, uh, and then you'll grow. And then you never know, because right now, Tom, I'm going to figure out some uh, monetization model here uh, in the next couple months um, so we can keep this going. Uh, But to your point, this is not a primary uh, revenue model, fortunately for me. Uh, Over time, you never know. But that's where it's like, uh, podcasting is so, for me, therapeutic and could be another revenue stream to support my family, what we're building here in the Bitcoin community, and a number of things that can compound over time. That's why I, I think I'm in the um, lower, uh, a lower group of folks that believe this. Uh, I think we actually need more Bitcoin podcasts, not less. I think we need a uh, longer tail, hyper-focused, creative uh, podcasts. Like, there is uh, Casey's podcast, Hell Money. Uh, have you ever listened to that Hell Money podcast? I'll be honest with you. I make Bitcoin content all day, so the last thing I want to do is listen to more Bitcoin content. Gotcha. So, you, But you're, of course, going to listen to Builders in Bitcoin, right? Of course. Um, anytime someone recommends, like, you got to re- listen to this, I always listen to it. So, Rock yeah. and roll. Um, and I left you a good review, too. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Um, so with, the, with having more Bitcoin podcasts out there, potentially— um, what's the end game then for a show like Simply Bitcoin? Because you're doing this six days a week. This is a passion show. You can't be like, all right, Nico's uh, off for this week. We're going to fill in with this you know, person for uh, in the next six days or 12 days or so on. Like, what is the end game? That's a really good question. So um, what is the end game? Uh, obviously, continue growing our channel, continue growing our influence, um, you know, continue growing our Twitter account. Uh, right now, our TikTok's pretty big. In fact, it's one of the biggest for Bitcoiners, um, believe it or not. Uh, Instagram, continue growing our our sphere of influence. And obviously, that's going to allow us to, uh, you know, to, to sell more sponsorships ads. Okay. But what is like the actual macro goal? We have now we have edit, like now we have a writing thing. So we have we have articles that release. We release three or four a week. Uh, so we have written articles. We have a show. Um, I think you know where I'm going with this. Um, so it's just kind of creating a, a media company, basically Dope. a Bitcoin media company. Now the difference, though, is that here's the here's where I believe this is going. Um, we started as a Bitcoin podcast, and we ended up. Fast forward a year or two later, only talked about Bitcoin. Now we're 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 a politics podcast, just looking at it from the eyes of Bitcoin. How the hell did we go from there to there? 
what is the end goal of Bitcoiners? Separate money from state. So where do I believe this is in five years? Dude, this will become a political powerhouse. All the, the, People don't understand this. Like the, not simply Bitcoin in particular, but the Bitcoin topic, right? It's inevitable that it gets, it gets into politics, dude. This is the most political force the world has ever seen since Marxism. Okay, the idea that you could save into money that they can't devalue, they can't easily confiscate, but it's grassroots, meaning you have to go there, you have to go to people, and you have to say, hey, man, look at this alternative. How do you do that? How do you do that? First of all, you can't get trapped in the, the fiat model, right? Left-wing people believe this. Right-wing people believe that. That's how they distract you. At the end of the day, the difference between the left and the right, they both want the same thing. They just have different ways of getting there. As a Bitcoiner, my job is not to allow them to distract us with the bullshit because that's what it is, right? The left, the left has good points. Why can't people pay for shit? Why can't people afford healthcare? The right has good points. Leave me the fuck alone. This is my sovereignty. My job is to say, dude, it's not the left. It's not the Democrats. It's not the Republicans. The money is stealing from you, bro. Stop. It's not the other side. The money is stealing from you. I fundamentally believe that if you fix the money, 99% of the political issues will disappear. It will make politics obsolete. It will make it disappear. So my job, right, is to try to incept, try to do the crossover into the mainstream consciousness. It's starting to get there. You see Natalie Burnell on Fox. You see uh, Tucker Carlson bring in Michael Saylor. Right. You see Tim Pool starting to mention it here and there. You're seeing you're starting to see, unfortunately, only from the conservative side, you're starting to hear a predominant conservative influencers saying end the Fed end the Fed and replace it with what, my friend. Right. So mm -hmm. it's getting there. Right. But my job is where I, I really want to bring simply Bitcoin eventually is to fall into mainstream consciousness, be a bridger between the two political ideologies and say, dude, Let's fix the money. Let me show you how. And let me show you why, how the money being broken breaks everything else. And let me show you why the political differences that you have with the other side is caused by your suffering is not caused by the Republicans. It's not caused by the Democrats. You're being distracted and they're doing it very successfully. It's not because Donald Trump's not in office, not because Joe Biden's in office. It's literally because every single one of us, dude, if you're in the lower and end, you're if the lower end or the middle end of the economic scale, the sad reality is that you don't have the means to save in assets. If you don't have the means to save in assets, if you save in fiat currencies and earn in fiat currencies, dude, you are getting poorer every single year. That's the that's the reality. We all know the inflation rate is not 8%. It's 15%. So if you're not making 15% more in income if you were last year, you are poor. If you're wealthy, if you're in the upper middle class, upper class, you have the privilege, right, keyword, to have the benefit of having assets of which you store your wealth, meaning inflation benefits the hell out of you because you get asset inflation, which is yeah. actually a really good thing if you're holding equities, if you're holding real estate. Real estate prices doubled in the last two years. If you're holding real estate, you're on cloud nine right now. Right. Well, I just sold all my real estate, so I'm not sure. I, I don't know, man. I think you nailed the top pretty well. Yeah, did I? <laughs> I hope so. I hope I top ticked it. Um, I just, I, I agree with you in terms of there's just so much uncertainty out there. I, I go back to the the single mom of three that was, you know, buying chick or KFC a bucket of you know chicken and getting a two liter cola, and that remember that was like ninety nine cents for a two liter cola, and now it's probably like a dollar nineteen or a dollar forty nine. And uh, what that's happening to them, and it's like, how do they uh, keep up, right? What are the investment opportunities or what are the other opportunities for them? Um, but that's a whole nother uh, podcast and that's a whole nother topic. Uh, I'll say that. Um, now you, you've opened up a number of other boxes for me. This is like channel growth. Like how do you think – you mentioned Instagram, TikTok, which is really interesting to me. Uh, Twitter, obviously, YouTube, Bitcoin TV, others. Like, do you think you're spreading yourself too thin by building out all of these uh, platforms and audiences? Or do you recommend, especially from someone that's just starting out, focus on one platform or one community and just nail that? 
Yeah, there's no such thing. Um, the people that are using TikTok, they're going to be using TikTok. People that are using Instagram are going to be using Instagram. People that are using Bitcoin TV are going to use Bitcoin TV. People that use Rumble are going to be using Rumble. People that use YouTube, they're going to be using YouTube. People that use Twitter, they're going to be using Twitter. The crossover, like, dude, people have their preferences, man. Mm -hmm. Like, we, so the fact that we put our stuff on Rumble, Bitcoin TV, just on putting it on Rumble, just by putting our, our, whatever we do on video, we just stream it to Twitter. Dude, we tripled our listeners or viewers, like overnight. We didn't, we didn't change anything. We just added it to the platforms. Like nothing changed, right? So the, the tricky part is though, and this is kind of what I mentioned in the beginning, the workflow and burnout is very important, dude. There's only a certain amount of work that you could do every single day because if you commit yourself to doing that same amount of work the next day and then the next day and the next day, by Friday, you will want to give up because you're doing too much work. So you have to weigh how much can I feasibly do every day without not wanting to do it tomorrow. So like you kind of have to – and then that resilience builds up. So for me, the, tri the like the, the ideal spot is I maybe I put in four or five hours of, of work into Simply every day, mm -hmm. right? It's not a full-time job. Pays pretty well, but it's not a full-time job, right? And I don't go crazy. And anything that I can't do but I want to do, I have other Simply Bitcoin members do it as well. Mm -hmm. And I specifically tell them. I'm like, dude, listen, love you working at Simply. Work really hard. But brother, don't like – don't don't treat this as a full-time job because it like first of all it doesn't require it um and second of all you're there's something called diminishing returns right so if you put in five or six good hours of fucking work and you bust your ass and you put in nine are you really getting a lot more work for those 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 three those those three or four hours that you're putting in how much of those three, four hours are you dozing off endlessly on Twitter? How, how, how long are you using it to go to a bathroom break? How long are you using it to just relax or just kind of like doze off for a little bit daydream? How long, right? So if you work for five or six hours and you bust your ass Monday through Friday, dude, we outwork everybody else. Like, and, and, and we don't, and I don't think that we're putting it like in terms of the the nine to five schedule that has been like programmed into everybody's totally. I think what's important is, did you get the work done or not? If you didn't get the work done that day, dude, I will put in a twelve hour day. But is a twelve hour day necessary every single day? Some days it is. Yep. Like to, today is extremely busy for me. I have a full schedule. I've been up since six thirty in the morning, haven't stopped right, and I don't get back to Miami off my flight till six or seven. And then I got to work. Right. And then tomorrow I go to I go to Austin. So I know these two days are going to be brutal for me. Wednesday, I know it's going to be a little bit more relaxing. Right. So I think it's really like kind of weighing, like balancing out what your bandwidth is capable of. Totally. And and I'll say this. It feels to me like you're sprinting a marathon, but it's actually not the case because there's really three pegs to the stool of like finding uh, purposeful uh, work. One, you got to make money the straight up you got to be able to make money two you got to be continuously learning and continuously curious about you know showing up that you're learning something new uh, and three you got to be having fun like is this fun and like do i wake up and say man i'm the luckiest human being on this planet to be able to do that you nail all three of those yeah what seems like you know from the outside looking in is someone sprinting a marathon is just you going for a jog in the park and that um I, I feel that passion coming from you and with, with Simply. Dude, I could go for like another hour straight up <laughs> and I'm not even BSing you. Um, we, you got another show. What, when do your shows, give me your final thoughts, but also explain to me, you know, the six days a week, like what's your, um, like what's the timing on it? And then how do you distribute it on uh, where people can see the show live? Yeah, uh, so we come out uh, 12.15 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Saturday. Um, we are on YouTube, Rumble, Bitcoin TV, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, Fountain, and a, a bunch of other platforms I can't remember off the top of my head. You could probably find me there if you search Simply Bitcoin. So, uh, by the way, of course, I'm going to ask you one more question, which is, 
what's the the platform you use just to hit? You know, do you go to each of those individual platforms and then uh, hit the publish button, or is there like uh, a couple of platforms you use to then distribute across a number of platforms? Yeah, the key here again is efficiency, 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 and workflow. So you, what you do, like what I do personally is I have a tab, I have a window open. I never exit out of these tabs. They're always there. They're always logged in. So I, it, it takes the least amount of clicks possible that. so that I don't fucking go crazy. Um, unfortunately, uh, Rumble requires you to set up the live stream every time. Bitcoin TV, you have to set it up the live stream every time. YouTube, you have to set up the live stream every time. However, those three, once they're set up, once they're done, what I do is I pull it from YouTube, download it, Upload it to Spotify. It will be up. Uh, it will be uploaded on Spotify an hour after I publish on YouTube. And then on Spotify, it shoots it out, so it uploads it automatically to Apple Podcasts. The key word here is efficiency and reducing your workflow. Totally. If you do that, you won't go crazy. Uh, creator burnout is very, very real, and you have to take it very seriously. If you bust your ass for seven days and you're giving a hundred percent. The next week, you will not want to do it. You will want to kill yourself. So the key is to like maybe go to 79, 78, where you still break a sweat, but you have enough energy to go to go just as hard the next week. Does that make sense? It does. And I think that's a great way to end this pod, man. I cannot thank you enough for your time, Nico. And I cannot wait uh, for you to come visit again in Nashville and maybe for an extended period of time next time. Intent. Um, yes, man. Thank you. It's absolute honor. Love this. And uh, I'm really, really excited uh, for the future of Bitcoin Park and for the future of Bitcoin TV. Very, very promising projects. Um, I, I know they're going to I know they're going to go places. Yeah. If you listen to the pod all the way to this point, um, Nico did say hint, hint. And uh, I think we got a lot of fun stuff planned for 2023. So cheers. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nico as much as I did. Consistently producing six Simply Bitcoin episodes a week takes a special kind of passion and determination. And clearly Nico has that in spades. If you're enjoying the pod and want to auto-magically stay up to date, please like and subscribe in your favorite podcasting app. And make sure auto-download is on. This would also mean the world to me. Lastly, come visit us in Nashville at Bitcoin Park. The Bitcoin community here in Nashville grows stronger by the day. We hinted at a number of events, workshops, meetups. Heck, we have a bit devs now. More to come on this and a number of our other events, especially in 2023. So if you want to be the first to know, join our meetup page at bitcoinpark.co and check the show notes for this episode for a link to the Bitcoin Park Discord server so that you can stay connected with us. Until next time.